I'm sorry. Um, I'm a bit of a mess right now. I just was overwhelmed in that moment. I don't know if you got what we just sang right there. Overwhelmed for a few different reasons. Overwhelmed as I just sat on the side praying that prayer that that would happen in this place for us this morning, that that heaven would fall, that we'd get a glimpse of glory, that we'd see God just maybe in part a little bit more clearly than we've seen them before. And as a result, our lives would actually reflect them a little bit more brilliantly than it ever has before. And then I was overwhelmed as I sat over there just on my knees praying and looking and seeing this team lead us in worship and how honored I am to get to be a part of this, this movement with you, that it's us together moving to bring hope. And I just met a new friend this last week, Daniel, and he's planting a church, and he's here this morning and talking to he and his wife. And it reminded me of like starting and the anxiety and, and wondering what might happen and how many times I wondered, will this work? And how many times is this, I was on the edge wondering, will we fail? And seeing heaven fall and the glory of God show up. So I apologize. I'm wrecked this morning. I don't know where we're going from here. Good grief. But, uh. Welcome to Awakening Church. If you're new, I'm Ryan. <laughs> We're in a series called A Dialogue with Mystery. We've been invited in, beckoned into a soul-shaping, life-giving conversation with the God of the universe. This morning, we're talking about this idea I call the gift of disorientation. I'm sorry for the no snot thing there, too. It's just either you're going to see it or you're going to hear it one way or the other. Um, when we think about being disoriented, it's not often a positive thing. It's kind of a negative thing, yeah? I mean, you think physiologically, if you're disoriented, you know, clinically, they say there's kind of three elements that may cause us to be disoriented. If you get a concussion, uh, they're asking about your place. Do you know where you're at? Because when you're disoriented, you don't know where you're at. They ask about your um, person. Do you know who you are? You know, what's your name? If you've ever been around someone who got hit hard on the head and you see a medical professional, they'll come to them and go, who are you? And they're like, ah, I'm not so sure. And then, then they ask, where are you? Not just your place, but your, your person. And then also, I got to look at notes because I'm all off at this point. When are you? Your time. 
But I understand, and we understand the gift of disorientation a little bit differently as well, not just physiologically, but philosophically. See, philosophically, we understand that there are things that our lives are oriented around that we assume to be true, and as a result, live out our lives based on those orientations. And we become disoriented when a truth comes into our world that wrecks our current orientation. And so it undermines the very things that we hold true. Oftentimes it's unsettling, it's off-putting, can be troubling. We resist it. I'll give you a quick example. The earliest time that I can remember being, having experienced the gift of disorientation was uh, 16 years old. I was in love. No, 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 I was in love. I mean, I was like head over heels. This is my soulmate. You complete me. Hello, in love. Thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. And, and one of the telltale signs of true love, my friends, is that we both love VW buses. I mean, there it is. There, there, it's the writing on the wall. Four months later, she broke my heart. Thank you, three of you. <laughs> I don't know what to say to the rest of you, but thank you, three of you. (laughs) I remember that night as I walked, literally walked around my block all night long like a blubbering idiot like I am this morning, you know, and just praying, why, God, why? I'll never find love again. And in that moment was the gift of disorientation. See, because I had oriented my life around a person thinking they would somehow satisfy. I had oriented my life around an idea and a concept of love that wasn't actually love, but was a chemical response in the brain, which we now call puppy love or infatuation, which is nice, but it isn't true love. And in the moment, you need this experience of disorientation so that you can be reoriented around what is true and Right. My prayer, my hope, is this morning you would experience a gift, a gift of disorientation, a gift of maybe undermining some of the things that you've held most dear, and it might be troubling, it might be unsettling, it might feel a little bit off-putting, but in it, In it is life. In it is the bedrock or the foundation of what is truly peace and purpose. I've said it every week, and I'll say it again. The land we're covering this morning isn't going to be unfamiliar. In fact, for many, it will be quite familiar. In fact, the passage that we're covering is so familiar that you're going to read it and you're going to immediately say, I know this, I get this, I got this. That's the problem with familiarity, isn't it? 
we immediately dismiss it because we think we've already arrived. And my aim, my objective this morning isn't actually to teach you something new, it's to remind you of something old. Once again, this series, this series is to take what some of you know in your head and make the long journey to your hearts. And I believe in it, God wants to meet you powerfully. And he might want to disrupt some things currently in your life. And I pray that you will not just have the openness to hear, but the responsiveness to go, okay, God, whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever it looks like, I'm in. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Ephesians chapter 3? We've been journeying through this prayer of Paul. We're, we're now at the end. It's the climax. It's known as a doxology, this massive praise to God. And the Apostle Paul pens these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I simply want to offer three truths that I think are disorienting to our lives, meaning that our current orientation of how we're living our lives, these truths will disrupt them. And yet, they'll bring such beauty and peace and purpose to our lives. First disorienting truth is in regards to time. Where are you? Now, I'm not talking back to the future time, you know, like Doc, you know. It's not when, Marty, it's where, you know what I'm saying? Maybe I am talking about that. When are you? And I get that. Today's March 20th, 2016. Hello. When are we? We're in America. We're in a time when the political landscape is like a mess. The economic engine is crazy. We look at the world and we wonder what is happening and uncertain. And we have this presupposition that's pervasive, not only in culture, but even in our own lives, that, that as a result, when are we? We're, we're in a time when now is all that matters. It, now, it's, it's right now, it's, it's all that matters. I got to live for the now. I got to get the now. What's interesting is you follow and you track the early followers of Jesus. They had a different response to win. See, see we kind of think that history is just happening. Early followers of Jesus understood history this way, that history is fundamentally his story. And some of you heard that before. I didn't make that up. His story for his glory. That history, think about this, history is actually moving somewhere. 
That we're moving towards something. This isn't accidental. We're not just happenstance. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that time began. And as a result, time will end. We are eternal. Time is not. At some point, we will spend eternity with God. Time will cease. And at the end of time, there is going to be a culmination. If he started all the way back here and created and it was good, and then we experience all the aftermath of our choices of rebelling from God, then we're going to be in a time when he's going to restore all things. And so followers of Jesus looked at history and current events and said, history is fundamentally his story. It's all about him, and it's all for his glory. In your notes, I broke down this passage structurally for you, just so you could see it. Because sometimes when I, I read things, I have to break them down. And you can do this. This isn't like some seminary thing. You can do this on your own. Uh, it's just the structure of the sentence. I, I just wanted you to notice like Paul's emphasis, his main points here. You see it structurally. Now to him who is able... Circle him. He is the subject of the sentence, by the way. To do immeasurably more than all we ask, we are the objects. Now to him who is able, subordinate to that, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, how? According to his power that's at work in us. Now what? To him be glory. It's all about God, and it's all for his glory. Now, here's why this is so disorienting for us. We often make ourselves the subject of our story. It's all about me. It's all about my needs. And God somehow exists to make me happy. We become the main characters and not the supporting cast. A.W. Tozer said it this way, left to ourselves, we tend to immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least where we know he is when we need him. We want a God we can, uh, we can in some measure control. This is a disorienting truth. And by the way, if you lived long enough, you get this. If you orient your life around you and you're the main character, you will live out a selfish, narcissistic life and at the end of your life be lonely because nobody wants to be around you. First, disorienting truth. History is fundamentally his story, God's story, and for his glory. It's for his name, his renown. Everything that is going to take place and the culmination of all this happening, we believe it's going somewhere. And at some point, the early Christians said this all the time, come, Lord Jesus, come. You know why? Because they actually thought it was a good thing if he came. Heaven wasn't somewhere you go when you die. Heaven took place on earth when followers of Jesus understood, understood it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Second, disorienting truth is in regards to place. 
where are you? And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you walked in with. I don't know what's happening. I think many, if you had to answer honestly, where are you? You say, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on God. That immeasurably more that you just read, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. I'm in the land of waiting. I'm in the land of waiting for immeasurably more with my spouse. I'm in the land of immeasurably more in the career. I've been waiting. I've done all the work and it's just not working out. I'm in the land of waiting for health. I'm in the land of waiting. There's been a deep thing that I long for healing in my soul and it's just not happening. I was at my kids' Little League game yesterday and it's nice. Both my boys are in Little League and so my youngest, Miles, is playing on single A and man, it's fun being a dad and scary being a dad. Watch your kids play. Uh, And there was this um, family right in front of me in the bleachers and this was crazy to me. I, I, I had to like hear this over and over because I, I was like, I, that can't be what she just said. They have this little, like two and a half, maybe three-year-old that's kind of wandering around on the ground, you know, there right in front of the, the bleachers to the baseball field. And the little boy wanders just over to the edge, 15 feet, 15 feet. That's it. Now, the mom looks at this little boy and says this. This is crazy. Honey, don't wander too far from us. That's not that crazy. I get that. (laughs) Or the stranger in the park will take you. Now, at first, I thought she said ranger in the park. And I'm like, that's kind of a weird thing, ranger. And then she said it again. Don't wander too far or the stranger in the park will take you. And I'm like, good Lord. (laughs) Holy frightening Batman. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine this kid growing up with the orientation of parks? Think about this. Every park this kid goes to, there is a stranger in the park. That is their designation, the stranger in the park. And at this park, this stranger will take you. If you wander too far, the stranger will take you. And every time they go into a park, they're wandering stranger, not just stranger danger, but hey, stranger, any, hello. What I realized is those parents were using fear, manipulation to somehow try to control their kid. I think sometimes with us, with God, that's where we're at. We think God's somehow trying to use fear, manipulation. Where are you? Where are you this morning? Fear, manipulation. Maybe he's, he's the God of immeasurably more, but he's withholding and he's holding out And maybe you just haven't measured up. He's immeasurably good, but you haven't measured up. And so a stranger in the park time. You know what I'm saying? You've been there? Now, 
Let me give you the context of this passage because so oftentimes we read passages and we rip them out of context. And when we do that, there's some truths that are true that we get there, but we miss out on some of the foundation of what's in there. Because here's what I want you to hear on this immeasurably more. You are already on the far side of an immeasurably more. See, when we think about the God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, here's how we look at it. I'm here, immeasurably more is there. I'm here and out there one day, someday, I might experience the God who is immeasurably more, abundantly, exceedingly, beyond, infinitely beyond my capability to do And you fill in the blank of what you want him to do. And what Paul is doing is proclaiming and declaring what God has already done. And so you sit in the middle. You're not looking forward. You're actually right in the middle of immeasurably more. Immeasurably more is behind you because he's already done immeasurably more. And immeasurably more is in front of you because he's infinite and will continue to do immeasurably more. That's your place in this passage. And here's where I get it. The context, Ephesians 1, 3. We did a series, chapter 1. One called Unnoticed Grace. Check this out. This is so good. Every spiritual blessing. He says, says this. I'm just going to read a bunch to you. Just God's word. Soak it in this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Has, past tense, blessed you every spiritual blessing. Done. Four. Chosen. Remember that? We talked about that. Chosen. He chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted. Hello. Adopted, invited in part of the family as his sons and daughters through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, in Christ, we have redemption. We've been brought back we're no longer slaves through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. This is why Paul prays that he, you would have spiritual eyes so that you would get to see and grasp this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And then he talks about where we're at, that we've been saved by grace, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And that now as a result, you have a new purpose in life. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. And he's just marveling at this oneness. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And something that just blew Paul's mind away, he just couldn't get it. He called it the mystery. It's the mystery that Gentiles were included into the family, that there's this one new body This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with the members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ now. Do not rip it out of context. Now to him 
who is able. Come on, somebody come with me this morning because this is so good. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, or imagine. You're not just looking forward to immeasurably more. You're on the far side of immeasurably more. You have experienced it in Christ. Every spiritual blessing yours. It changes the way you pray. It changes the way you approach God because if you're waiting, thinking God's withholding or somehow holding out, it's like, no, no, no. Nothing, no good thing have I withheld from you. I've given you my son. First, disorienting truth. History is fundamentally his story. Second, place, where are you? You are already on the far side of immeasurably more. And so you're in it. You're in the immeasurably moreness of God. And as we close this morning, we close with your person, with who you are, who are you. This is just bringing the thought to its final conclusion. If history is fundamentally his story, and you are already on the far side of immeasurably more, then your story is ultimately to bring God glory. it. Your story. Story of your life. I don't know what the story of your life is. Chapter one, you got born. Mine, I got, I was born in Texas. That's why I have a funky accent. Chapter two, you moved to Santa Cruz and now you're just confused. (laughs) Chapter three, moved to Chicago. So now you make all your C sounds Chicago. Chapter four, married. I don't know what the chapters of your life are like. I don't know what's going on. But in every chapter of your life, your story is ultimately to be told in such a way that it gives and brings God glory, that it gives and brings him fame, that it gives and makes his name great. And here's what's so disorienting around this. Is I think we look at that, and especially those of us who go, yeah, yeah, I get this. I've heard this before. We think it's in the good times. We think this is circumstantial. Yeah, stantial. There you go. That like, you know, chapter five, that was a really good blessing time of God. And so God gets the glory. You know what? But here I'm in chapter six and six is a bad chapter in my life. Six is a hard chapter. Six is a chapter with depression. Six, six is a chapter where, where my kids walked away from God. Six is a chapter when my health went down and my marriage began to get just rocked. Six is a chapter when I began to question and doubt. And sometimes we say stuff like this. And we begin to pray to the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, or imagine. That he's exceedingly, abundantly, infinitely. When you heal me then 
I'll glorify you. When, when you fix this marriage, then I'll be a... <laughs> we say this sometimes in church world. Maybe not so much. We got a trophy of your grace. Trophy. Trophy. Trophy of your grace. You know God is so big that in your darkest chapter, he can get, still get his greatest glory. I don't know if you knew that. You know, today's Palm Sunday, and some of you are wondering, are we going to talk about Palm Sunday? Not really. But what happened the day before Palm Sunday is ultimately, if some of you don't know, ultimately what caused Jesus to be crucified. His teaching was uh, intense and disrupted the norm. His miracles were gathering a crowd which threatened the religious leaders. But what happened the day before is ultimately what was the thing that broke the camel's back. And it was a dead man that came back to life named Lazarus. A few days before, Jesus gets word. His friend's sick. Now, Lazarus, he's his buddy. I mean, these are like intimate, close. Think of one of your best friends. And, and we know Jesus. I mean, you just, if you read his life, Jesus is like healing everybody. He's just walking around, hey, what's your name? I don't even care. Be healed. You know what I'm saying? He's just like, hey, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then Lazarus, his buddy. Sick. It's interesting. Jesus' commentary on this. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. This sickness, that sickness, that pain, that circumstance, it's actually going to bring God glory. That's not how it's supposed to work, though. This is the American dream. It's supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Or at least wealthy. This sickness, this pain, that in some of the darkest chapters of your life, God can bring about his greatest glory. Because, because for God, for Jesus, death is not the end. Your brokenness is not the end. Your pain is not the end of the story because history is fundamentally his story, ultimately for his glory, that there is a final chapter to be writ. You know, um, there's this desert called Death Valley, right? You've heard of it before? South of here called the Valley of Death. It's Death Valley. It's like literally a place where if you hang out too long, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, it is a barren wasteland expanse with nothing empty, dry. The ground is cracked and hardened. And if we're honest, that's where some walked in this morning. Every so often in Death Valley, there's this phenomenon that happens. Conditions have to be just right. It happens like on El Nino years, and we're in El Nino year. It happened this last few months ago. It's called a super bloom. 
It's where barren wasteland becomes brilliant beauty. Where once was death becomes a landscape of awe and wonder. See, because the rain pours down and what you don't see under the dry, cracked, barren wasteland is there's seeds of life that lie dormant that when the rain pours down on it, it awakens to life. And when you embrace the gift of disorientation, as if the rain of God pours down on your life. See, God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. He's in the business of making beauty from ashes. In fact, I mean, I love what, what he said to Mary in her darkest moment. John 11, or Martha actually was who was saying it. Just think about this. She's questioning Jesus. Why didn't you come? And before he raised Lazarus back to life, been dead four days, and it's in the deepest, darkest hour of pain, the darkest chapter of their story. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, because there's still death, still has another chapter because we have a resurrected king. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And the question is, do you believe? History is fundamentally his story for his glory, that you're already on the far side of immeasurably more. And your story, no matter what chapter you're in, is ultimately for his glory. When you begin to reorient your life and go, okay, God, I'm, I, it's not my story, it's your story. This is about you, God. The God who is able to God be the glory. No matter what chapter I'm in, you are able and you will get the glory. And it's not circumstance defined. I want to close just with this prayer over you. Uh, this last Tuesday, our leadership council is the board of our church. We meet every other Tuesday. And we got to pray with our prayer team, which they're phenomenal. And I'd encourage you, even as we're going to worship in a minute, but I would encourage you to take advantage of them. But Sue prayed this over me, and I wanted to pray this over you, and I asked her permission to read this to you. This is my prayer for you. It's from the perspective of Jesus. And so would you sit back? Would you take a deep breath? Would you allow the disorientation to take place? It's maybe a little unsettling, a little troubling, but it brings life and hope, peace, Perhaps this is Jesus' words to you this morning. Look at me. Don't compare your strength, ability, or resources to the problem or circumstances. Compare me to the problem. I am bigger. I am more present, more invested, more aware, more involved than you can comprehend. 
look at me. Keep your eyes on my face. Don't look around. Don't look at the size of the waves. Look at me. My eyes are on you. Fix your eyes on me. See the love in my eyes. See my compassion. See my grace. I am with you. And I have not stepped away for one second. I know your dreams because I gave them to you. Trust me. I will do abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. Just look at me. Winds and waves change, but I don't. Let me give you my eyes, and I will cause you to see what I see. Old ways of seeing are being replaced with new ways. Just keep looking at me.